Hello and welcome back. You're joining us today for our 26th episode of Opportunity Thrives. I'm your host, Jason Mitchell, and on this show, we are committed to better supporting the needs of today's secondary students. Through interviews with students, teachers, administrators, technologists, and education influencers, we want to understand what's working in our schools today, what's not, and how we could impact positive and lasting change. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions on our show. Please click in the podcast notes to leave us a review, to provide your input, or just to send us a question. You can also reach out to us at info at Today, we have an opportunity to talk with Ariana Flewelling, an education consultant that provides collaboration and consulting on the use of educational technology and transforming education. She specializes in pedagogy-first technology integration to enhance practice and student achievement. Her passion is inspiring others to share their stories and skills through technology. Throughout her work, Ariana works to ensure technology is implemented equitably and to provide all students access and opportunity. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ariana. Thank you so much for having me. Sure, it's our pleasure. As an education leader, how are you working with district leaders to address these unparalleled challenges that we're all facing right now? Yeah, it's, it's it's kind of an exciting time just because, you know, traditionally I would be on site with districts, uh, but since we're working remotely, I'm actually able to work with a lot more just because, you know, I don't have to drive or fly from place to place. So it's exciting to be able to have conversations with district leaders, helping them approach the challenges of now. But also I'm really excited about talking with them about What does hybrid learning look like? What does return to campus look like? And how is K-12 education going to be forever changed by the impacts of the pandemic? And, you know, what can we learn from current state to be able to advance conversations that, you know, honestly, a lot of folks have been having for a long time now in regards to technology or personalized learning and really trying to see how can we bring, you know, those ideas together to really do something that's going to help uh, students move forward. So a lot of that forward thinking, and then when it comes to current state, really trying to find ways to help districts capitalize on what they have, so that way they can make the best of their current investments, but then also to really analyzing where there may be some needs and you know coming in as an unbiased source to really help them analyze their options for moving forward and figuring out what's going to best serve their communities. You raised a really interesting point. You talked about sort of the efficiency that that working from home can provide, but it also comes with some challenges. And I think our teachers in particular, um, they have a lot of competing agendas in this environment. And they've got to consider things like equity of access, student engagement, uh, learning gaps that their kids might have, um, even kids that have like trauma and, and stress in their classrooms. And all that still coupled with the regular classroom instruction that they have to do. So if you're a teacher, how do you prioritize that? What do you see as you look across the educational landscape, how people are, are dealing with this? And, and just if you look into your crystal ball, is that going to change over time? I think when it comes to you know prioritization, that kind of old adage, everything's a priority, then nothing's a priority. Mm-hmm. So really trying to figure out what is the most important kind of the week basis, the month basis, and sometimes even the day-to-day or hour-to-hour basis. And obviously, all the things you mentioned are so important for our educators to consider. 
but really trying to tap into what can I feasibly do for my students now that's going to help them be successful next year. You know, different states have different standards for what students are supposed to learn. But of course, we all know, you know, whether we want to fully admit it or not, there are some standards that are more highly weighted than others, whether that comes into play with high stakes testing or, you know, some other initiative at the district or the county or at the state level. So really thinking about which standards are the most important for me to focus on right now, which texts or which labs are going to be the ones that are going to help my students move forward. So then that way we're hyper-focusing on what are those skills and what are those concepts that are going to help our students succeed and really going in, I think in more depth than some folks have done in the past on those specific topics, instead of being uh, potentially more surface level with a broad range of concepts. And I also think too, you know, when it comes to things like student stress and trauma, for example, is, you know, I hope that districts are communicating with their students and their families and also their teachers, what resources are available because, you know, that role of helping to address that should not be solely on the classroom teacher. You know, the classroom teacher, of course, will do anything and everything to help their students, but also what resources that can they tap into so that way they can focus in on learning gaps and student engagement and making sure, but still making sure that those students receive the things that they need. And in regards to equity of access, that's, I mean, I could spend a full hour just talking about that, um, just because that's that's such a layered topic that in a lot of ways um, needs a lot of federal attention and a lot of attention at the state budgeting level to really fully be able to address that in the way it needs to be addressed. Yeah, it was interesting as school closures sort of rolled out, I saw all of those priorities all of them uh, over the time, but at different times in that, there was sort of a different emphasis that people were focused on. So I think you you definitely hit on that. Um, I mean, you're recognized as a, an educational leader and you work with districts all over the nation. I'd love for you to talk about what's working well out there, both in your school and elsewhere for the different districts that you're working with. I think uh, really focusing in on consistency is really an important thing, whether that be consistency and communication. So the district posts their school reopening updates every Monday at 8 a.m. So that way, you know, that's where you can find those things. Or teachers structuring their information that they're giving to their students in the same way every time. So that way, when students see the agenda for the week, it's in the same format. I know even when I was in the classroom, I would give my students their assignments and I would color code things based on priority, or I would build a document that they would work on and I'd put in blue boxes. And that's where the students learned. That's where I always want them to type their answer. So consistent things like that, that teachers can implement and even better if entire schools can implement are really, really helpful because it's so difficult to be involved with remote and hybrid learning already because it is something that, you know, we're not used to in the K-12 space. So wherever you can provide some level of consistency, that's going to be really reassuring and really helpful to all of your stakeholders that are involved. 
That's interesting that you say that the last four podcasts that we've talked about, that topic of consistency has come up. So consistency is consistently coming up. <laughs> it, it, but it's helpful to know. I mean, if all of us are talking about it, it's it's definitely something that, that we should be prioritizing. So thank you for sharing that. When it comes to districts that are navigating these waters well, a lot of districts are doing it differently. So you're talking about virtual, you're talking about at hybrid and, and blended learning. The ones that are, are, are you think are effective, how does that look and feel for the student and the teacher and even their parents? Oh man, that's so hard. Cause like you said, there's so many different ways that folks are, are implementing this. So I think though, in some things that districts are doing well is they are finding multiple ways to interact with their parents, whether that be through their drive-through, you know, food opportunities for students in need, whether that be through, you know, some districts are doing socially distanced home visits, you know, where folks are separated by, you know, windows to be able to try and reach out to, you know, provide that support face-to-face just because maybe they haven't been connected online uh, or they haven't been able to reach them by phone. There's other districts that are capitalizing on different, you know, messaging technologies to try and reach folks where they are. And I think that that having that line of communication, that also goes both ways. So that way, not only are parents able to receive information, but they're able to call back or reach back out to get additional information is really key. And I think those districts that are doing that or some semblance of that um, are really in a better place just because they're able to help get, you know, their parents on board and their parents input with what is happening. When it comes to teachers, I think, you know, whether you you have a union or you have uh, a teacher district advisory group, I think a lot of districts that are heavily engaged with those teacher leaders and really empowering them in the planning and decision-making process, I think it's going much better just because they're able to get that boots-on-the-ground perspective and to really hear and see what the teachers are doing and living through and hearing their concerns because, you know, those are the folks that are teaching the kids. And it's very important to make sure that, you know, whether they're fully remote, hybrid, or coming back on campus, that their voices are heard. So that way, you know, even things like, what is the schedule going to look like? Will I be teaching kids via Zoom and kids that are face-to-face? All these different questions. Engaging those teacher stakeholders early and often is definitely something that is something districts are doing well, and I would highly encourage other districts to do as well. And when it comes to things that look or that are being implemented well when it comes to students, again, I think that idea of consistency But I also think, too, is providing students more opportunities for voice and choice and really allowing students to find ways, new and creative ways to show what they know. Kind of going along with that idea that I mentioned earlier about, you know, what's the most important things your students need to know? Also thinking, too, you know, what's the most important way students need to demonstrate things to you? I always think back when I was in the English class teaching high school seniors, by that point, in theory, they should know how to write an essay. And when I was working with them and looking at their work, the most important thing would be, what is their claim? What is their argument? What is their evidence? And when I asked them to write essays, you know, a lot of time there would be several that 
were pretty similar just because of, you know, the formatting and the way we traditionally teach writing a paper. Once I had an understanding that they had a grasp of that, really thinking about if claim and argument and evidence are the most important things, what type of assessments or what type of products am I willing to accept from my students that have all those elements, but may not be an essay. And I think that since students are working remotely, there's a lot more opportunities for for things like that. And I also think too, there's a lot more opportunities for, you know, some experiential learning. Like I was watching an, a webinar the other day and a student was talking about how she's working with her dad to build a doghouse and how she's actually really getting to correlate that to some of the different concepts she's learning in math. And I'm like, that's so awesome. And stuff like that, we wouldn't get to do normally in the school environment because, you know, most schools don't have wood shop and things like that. But to hear that that's something they're doing and they're making that connection in their real life is also, I think, something that when districts are open to student voice and choice, we get to see more things like that. And I think that's really important. So this is just sort of observational. I haven't really heard a, a lot of talk about this, but just in my conversations with educators, I almost feel like right now, even though we're physically apart, that there's more connection between students, parents, and teachers than there ever has been before. Is Am I off base on that or are you seeing something similar? You know what? I think it kind of depends. I think there's definitely some of that that's happening just because you're having teachers that are now kind of forced to have to check in on their students more than they may have before. And I think a lot of that goes back to how are districts supporting students, supporting teachers, and what structures are they building in to do this? I think where you're seeing a lot of that is districts that have implemented a kind of homeroom style um, schedule where every teacher has a select group of students that you know they check in with on a Monday and they you know do some of those social emotional check-ins or you know they do some school spirit type things and i think those are that's definitely a good way to help increase that teacher to student connection and that teacher or that that student to school connection because they're getting to see an adult that's investing time in them and cares about them beyond just the grades and beyond just the assignments i also think too that when we look at some of the the work that's being assigned and the quantity of work that's being assigned, I think that there is more room for those one-on-one -on -one connections. Because again, if you're letting students have voice and choice, they're getting to show you a side of them through your assignments that you may not have seen before. But then also too, as you are approaching those assignments that you are giving to your students, you might find that this old thing that you used to do maybe isn't as important or as relevant. So that's opening up room in your curriculum to do more on an individual basis. And I think that that's going to be something really important moving forward uh, past the pandemic, because, you know, we have always known that differentiation is important and that we want to, you know, help meet students where they are. But I think in a lot of ways, uh, even though we are at a distance, teachers are seeing some of the benefits of that. Since they don't see them face-to-face, -face, they have to find new ways to make those connections that they may not have done face-to-face. -face. 
I was talking to a gentleman who helped his school leverage digital curriculum from their virtual program that was traditionally a really small piece of the, the puzzle to, across the entire district. And he, he brought up a, a notion that I've never, ever heard before. And he is, it was sort of a, a specialization of, of job functions and roles. And they were talking about they had specific teachers who were helping students with just progress monitoring to make sure that they were on track. And then they had specific teachers who were doing just check-ins, like they had office hours if the students had questions. And then they had their sort of teacher record who was doing the relationship building and, you know, beginning of the week and the end of the week. Have you seen anything like that come up in any of your travels? And if so, what do you think about it? I have not seen it firsthand, but I think it's a fantastic idea. I've always kind of thought that all teachers, not just special education teachers, it would be great if they had an extra set of hands in the classroom to be able to help facilitate instruction and help facilitate some of these other things. So often we, we see students and our educators pulled in so many different directions that before the pandemic and probably even more so now, there isn't enough time in the day. So to be able to delineate and separate some of these, these aspects, whether they be to other teachers or to counselors or whatnot, I think not only does it really help the students get the attention they need, it helps the educators have potentially a little bit more work-life balance, but also it helps the students get connected with the right person for the right job. I used to always joke that you would not want me to teach elementary school because you would not <laughs> want me to teach your student math. And in this case, that the scenario you're showing, you know, if you have some teachers that really have that knack and that passion for data, they would be a great person to have in that progress monitoring role versus if yeah. you have someone who is like, no, data, not my thing. Tell me what I have to do based on the data, but I, I'm not... I don't have that that mindset to go deep in it. Well, then that might be the teacher that does the really successful SEL type thing. I, I think it's a great idea. And it's definitely one of those things that I would love to see more of. But again, it's also one of those things that will probably need a lot more funding and also a lot more support from the state and federal level to really see it catch on. Yeah, yeah. This district was sort of driven by sort of by force of necessity, like they didn't have enough uh, teachers to cover and they just had to figure out how to break it up in a manageable way. So that was really interesting. So, and you um, know what? Uh, necessity, you know, is the mother of all invention. And, you know, with invention comes innovation and with innovation comes iteration as all, you know, buzzwordy as that sound. You know, these are the types of things that if this is working for them and if they're seeing engagement and they're seeing gains with their students and with their teachers, let's try and move this back to classroom instruction because if it can work during the pandemic, imagine how it can work when you're able to be face-to-face. -face. Right. I imagine I'm it would work just as good, if not better. Right. I, I'm right there with you on that. So um, going back to what you, you just said about what do we want to return to, that's kind of the question I wanted to ask you was when we think about education, what is it that we want to return to? I mean, if you could help sort of define either policy or strategy or even plans, what would you recommend that we hold on to even when times return to some sense of normalcy? I think definitely when it comes to things we want to keep from, you know, before pandemic and during pandemic and going back is really that emphasis on teaching and learning. You know, we've seen 
schools become essentially internet service providers during the pandemic, we've seen them become even more exaggerated versions of, you know, providers of food. We've seen just the emphasis on how much our communities rely on school in some semblance for childcare, but school districts are not internet service providers, right? That's not their role. They're not funded for it. That's not, that's not their job. Yes, of course, students need that to be able to learn during the pandemic. And it's going to be, you know, amazing to see what students can learn with devices and connectivity post pandemic. But I hope that moving forward, people outside of the education space will recognize just how much stress was put on the education system because of the different things that they had to do that weren't related to teaching and learning. And the emphasis goes back to focusing on that. So that way our teachers can dig deep into their curriculum, dig deep into their pedagogy, and our students can benefit from that. And that our communities have greater access to all of these other things that I mentioned, but in such a way that the burden isn't on the education system. Because if you think about the way funding is allocated and granted it's different, you know, across the United States, but when we talk about per pupil spending, how much of that is actually spent on per pupils, right? How much of it is spent on things that actually directly affect the teaching and learning of students? You know, of course there were issues with that beforehand, but I think the pandemic is really gonna show us the importance of that. Because all this conversation about learning loss, let's face it, there was learning loss happening before the pandemic, especially for our communities of color, our socioeconomically disadvantaged communities. I know I kind of took that question in a weird way, but I think that that's, that's definitely something for folks to focus on and advocate for. Well, it was funny because I was going to ask you what, what you think the future of it looks like. And you, I mean, you really are sort of built your vision for what you think it can look like in the future. If it's okay, I want to dig in on that, on the question where you talked about specifically students who might have had learning gaps or have been struggled in a traditional environment. And that's been even more or further exacerbated in a virtual environment. What can we do about that? How can we help solve that problem? I think thinking about that, you know, a lot of the things that we've already talked about, engaging communities, engaging stakeholders, advocating for resources at the state and federal level, I think all of that is going to help. But I also think some important conversations that are going to need to be had are things about culturally responsive teaching, universal design for learning, uh, and how those things not only are good for those students in those underserved groups, but how those things benefit all students and finding ways to make sure that it's not just, all right, we're going to do a one hour PD about culturally responsive teaching. That's not going to work, right? That's not going to work. We want to make sure that these things that can help students are integrated into the way districts, schools, teachers, do the work. And that's going to take a lot of ongoing uh, professional development, a lot of ongoing support, and also a lot of reinforcement from leadership at, you know, whatever level it is. Because we've seen, you know, many a time before that you might have a school in a district that's doing amazing things when it comes to uh, technology. And they were doing that before the pandemic. They invested in going one-to-one, they, you know, invested in PD, you know, great things were happening. And then that principal retires 
or goes on to a new position at the district office. And then a new leader comes in that isn't as passionate. And a lot of those things that were great, but unfortunately fall by the wayside. We don't want that to happen with any initiative, but we especially don't want that to happen with an initiative that's not only going to help our students that find themselves in a situation where they are experiencing greater learning loss than their peers. I think those are going to be some key focuses. Well, we're ending where we started talking about consistency and good, solid instruction for all students. So thank you for that. Thank you for this illuminating conversation. Ariana, where can people find out more about you? Pretty much do a search for EdTechAri and you will find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all over the place. Uh, that's the best way to get in touch. Fantastic. I want to say thank you for joining us today. Uh, I, it's just such an interesting conversation that always takes ebbs and flows in that. I, I appreciate you taking the time today and sharing your insight and your expertise with our listeners. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure and you know, best wishes and good luck to all of the district administrators, teachers, families. You know, Right now during this trying time, I feel for you and I'm here to support you in any way humanly possible. So, you know, don't hesitate to reach out. And again, thank you so much for for having me. And I hope this has been a fun opportunity for your listeners and has given them some interesting things to think about moving forward. It most certainly has. So thank you for that. And to Opportunity Thrives listeners, thank you for your time today. If you're enjoying our podcast, we would love it if you would take just a minute of your time and share your feedback on our show by providing a review either on Spotify or iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on. And please reach out to us with any questions or comments at info at opportunitythrives.com. Thanks so much for tuning in today and we will see you next time.